Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. ...on spiritual gifts. Uh, this is something that you don't hear taught much, and tonight we're going to get right in the heart of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, pick up verse number 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, verse 11. But one in the self-same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our gathering tonight. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. We had this conversation not long ago. Actually, uh, Len and I had this conversation. This area of spiritual gifts and being filled with the Holy Spirit is not spoken of much, and even today, not even spoken much in Spirit-filled churches. It is something that uh, it seems that we are evading or we are uh, kind of looking around instead of uh, gathering head on the, uh, the issue. Obviously, we believe that the Word of God is still true today. That what we know as the New Covenant or the Age of Grace or the Church Age is still in effect today. There are a number of churches, a number of people who believe in cessation theology. Now let me just explain that to you. They believe that there are certain things that have ceased in the Word of God and we believe that whatever was in that New Testament church is still available to us today. We're not in a different covenant. We're not in a different time. We're not in a different dispensation. We're under the, the New Covenant, uh, the Atonement of Jesus Christ, that early church was birthed on the book of Acts or in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2 and, and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that those same gifts are available for us today as they were in that early church. I want to pose this to you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit just as much today as that early church did 2,000 years ago. And especially as we face the last days. Now, let's just kind of get into this, and we want to preview because we've kind of sporadically uh, had sequence here. Uh, spiritual gifts are not, so let's talk about what they're not. They're not earthly or natural talents. They're not learned through our own intellect. They're not produced by our own efforts. They are not solely for our individual benefit. But this is what spiritual gifts are. They're grace gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the word uh, grace and gifts that's used in your New Testament is the word charis, where we get the word charismatic. They're endowments and empowerments of the Holy Spirit. They're dispersed and gifted into people's lives as God wills. Now, we talked about two pillars or foundations that spiritual gifts rest upon. And number one is unity, and secondly, it's love. And then we got into the gifts last time that I spoke on Sunday night. We talked about the revelatory gifts or the gifts of revelation, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Then we talked about the gifts of power or powerful gifts, gifts of faith, gifts of healing, and the working of miracles. Tonight, we want to get into the gifts of inspiration, and there are three. This makes the nine spiritual gifts there in 1 Corinthians 12. Prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. 
prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So if you want to get a good discussion among a bunch of church folk, just talk to them about prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. How many of you know that will get them going? Hey, I deserve a better amen than that. Because here is my issue with cessation theology. You can't pick what gifts you think ceased. They're either all here or none of them are here. They're either all here or none of them are here. This is not a pick and choose list. Just thought I'd throw that out there. But what has happened in, you know, the culture of the church and doctrine, people have said, well, I like this one and don't like this one. This is not in our doctrine. This is not in our theology. Well, folks, uh, I don't care what abomination or denomination you belong to. Uh, we got to believe the word of God above everything else. And I'm just joking, so please don't throw anything at me. So let's look at the gift of prophecy. What is the gift of prophecy? It's the speaking and declaring the mind of God or the will of God through supernatural means of utterance to build up the church. It is a prophetic or forthcoming utterance or speaking that is to build up the church. Now, this is in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. So take your Bible, turn to chapter 14, and we will be there for the rest of the session uh, tonight. So if you'll get to chapter 14, uh, you, you'll be in the right place. In verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So he gives us some guidelines and characteristics of what prophecy should be and how it uh, is contained in what is said. Now notice these three, edification, exhortation, and comfort. Say those three with me. Here we go. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. So if prophecy doesn't include these, one of these or all of these, then we can say this is really not what this should be, right? So what do those words mean? I think we need to know what the words mean to really get down uh, to the nitty-gritty of prophecy. Edification simply means to build up. So if someone's prophesying, it should build us up. It, it should increase us, enlarge us. It means to build up. Exhortation is very kin to the word uh, periclesis or th that word which is para come alongside of. It means the drawing near to console, encourage, stir up to positive action. So what are we doing if we're encouraging someone or exhorting one, one, uh, someone? We're, we're building them up in consolation, encouragement to do something positive. And then comfort, to speak to someone for the purpose of calming or consoling. So he says prophecy contains edification, exhortation, and comfort. Look at verse 31 here in chapter 14. This is the most inclusive chapter about prophecy throughout the entire Bible. For you all can prophesy one by one, that all may learn and that all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So let's begin to break this down. We're going to kind of do it line by line. And if you're taking notes tonight, just jot this down. Prophecy is by course or sequence. 
prophecy is by course or sequence, which means people should not be prophesying at the same time. So if someone's prophesying at the same time, then we, we know that that's uh, out of order. Not that someone can't prophesy, somebody else can prophesy, somebody else can prophesy, and we'll get into that in a moment. But if we're trying to talk over each other, that's confusion. And if you're like me, the older I get, the more background noise I got, it's harder for me to understand. So we want clarity. We, we want to know what the word of the Lord is saying. So it is by course or sequence. Prophecies also for us to learn and be, be encouraged. So we're learning and being encouraged by prophecy. So that is another attribute here. Then he says the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, which simply means to arrange under. Now, when you say subject to, we all know what subjection means, right? That you're subject to something or someone. So that word means to arrange under. Doesn't mean you're over. It means you're under. So it means that we're under. And then it says God is not the author of confusion but of peace. And we'll, we'll talk about some of this here in a little bit. Now, here's some observations about prophecy. In 1 Thessalonians 5.20, Paul says do not despise prophecy prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. So the, the prophetic utterance, it doesn't always have to be something about the future. It could be something that's going on right now. It could be something that, that we need to know, something we need to hear. Here's another observation. Prophecy is superior to tongues unless there's an interpretation so the entire church can understand and be edified. We're going to talk about tongues here in just a little bit. But if there is a tongue that I don't understand, I'm not edified by that. And neither are you. Because you don't understand what's being said. Now, I can edify myself by speaking in tongues, but I really can't edify you because you don't know what's being said. But prophecy is to edify the church, so it's superior to, to tongues as a corporate uh, entity. Now, Prophecy should be limited to three messages in one gathering or one meeting. Look, look at verses 27, 28, 29. He said, let, let the prophets prophesy. He said that by course. And then he gives us a number. What's the number? Three. So he says if we're going to hear prophecy, we, we can hear three prophecies. And after that, guess what? He says we don't need any more. I mean, you know, the... The mind can only absorb what the seat can endure, right? So uh, that's why we don't have three sermons on Sunday. You, you've been to church when they didn't let out to 2 o'clock, haven't you? 1 o'clock? So we, we want to see here that he says there, there should be a limit to three messages and one gathering and one meeting. Here's another aspect of prophecy. Prophecy is subject to be judged. Prophecy is subject to be judged. Now here he says in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. What are we judging? Let me just give you some thoughts about that. Is it the word of God? How do we know it's the word of God? Does it line up to the word of God? If it doesn't line up to this word, how many of you know it's not real prophecy? God is not schizophrenic. He, he doesn't have a split personality. He doesn't say one thing in here and something else through a prophet. If it doesn't line up to the word, 
then certainly it's not from God. Here's another thing. Does it meet the criteria of what Paul said? Does it edify? Does it exhort? Does it comfort? So when he says, let the others judge, then we know that there has to be some kind of a plumb line or something to judge that prophecy by. So it's subject to be judged. Well, Pastor Mike, have you ever judged prophecy in this church? I have. I have actually shut people down from prophesying in the church because all they did was cause confusion. And you can't have that in the church. And it was subjected, you know, to uh, uh, biblical scrutiny and what they were prophesying was uh, not accurate. So it, that's very difficult to go to someone and say, I don't want you to do that anymore. Now, obviously, when, if you're here new and you feel like, you know, you have that gift and you have a word from the Lord, uh, it'd probably be better to come up to whoever's leading the service or whatever to say, you know, I ha have a, a word. Now, certainly we have people here that we trust and we know, but uh, it is subject to be judged. Here's another uh, um, observation. Prophecy, along with other spiritual gifts, can have a place in corporate worship or gatherings. Because sometimes people say, well, we shouldn't have that when we're gathered together. Listen to what he said, verse 26. When you come together, say that with me. When you come together. So what is this? This is when we come together. I'm not very smart, but I can understand that. He, he said, each of you, you, you have a psalm, you have a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, or an interpretation. So no, no matter what you're doing, whether you're singing, teaching, you have a tongue, a revelation, or interpretation, he said, let all things be done for edification. If if the singing, if the preaching, if the teaching, if the tongue, if the interpretation doesn't build up the body, we don't need that. How many of you know, we go out here to get torn down. We don't need to be torn down in the church house. We come in here to get built up. There's enough being torn up out here in the world. I always like Brother Ben said, if you ever get lifted up, just go out the doors. There's enough head shrinkers out there, they'll bring you back down to size. And that's so true, isn't it? <laughs> Prophecy or tongue should never cause confusion in the church. Should never cause confusion in the church. Look at verse uh, 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So he's saying this message is just not for you, Corinthians. This message is for what? All the churches. So the message is for all of us. Look, look at verse 39. He said, desire to prophesy... Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So what is really Paul driving here? He's saying we want to have spiritual gifts within the church. We want the Holy Spirit to move among us and through us but we don't want it to be confusing. We don't want it to be driving people away. Matter of fact, we want to embrace people and draw them in. Can I hear an amen? amen? So, some people don't understand the movement of the Holy Spirit. It does uh, concern some people. But you know what? That's between them and God. Let's do what the Word of God says, and we'll be okay. So, that's our guideline. Now, let's move because this is uh, kind of tied together, the gift of tongues. So the gift of tongues is the supernatural ability to speak in a language never learned to communicate a message from God. 
The gift of tongues, now let's really stress this, the gift of tongues is not your prayer language or the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we believe in tongues as your prayer language. We believe in tongues as the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. But the gift of tongues, everybody say the gift. The gift, the gift is different. Because you may speak in tongues, but never give a message out in tongues. Are we all on the same page here? I mean, you may never stand up in a, in a gathering or in an, in an assembly or in a church and give a message out in tongues. Well, why would you not do that? That's not your gift. Now, you may speak in tongues, but that's not your gift. But a lot of people who speak in tongues has the gift. My wife has the gift. I don't have the gift. Well, Pastor Mike, do you speak in tongues? Yes, I do. But I have never got up in 40 years and giving a message out in tongues. I'm just trying to get it down in English, hon. <laughs> but God uses people supernaturally to give messages out in a language that they never learned, but yet it is given to them from the Holy Spirit. But the gift of tongues is not your prayer language. It's not the, the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It is not a learned Language. You did not learn this language. So, you know, when I go to Mexico, I usually have a couple interpreters, and uh, we, we preach, and I preach in English. They interpret it to Spanish. We've been in some places where I'd speak in English. They interpret it in Spanish. Then it's interpreted to another dialect or another language. And, folks, you've got to get that rhythm preaching. And um, so, I, you know, I did not know the language. I have been in services where there was a message given in tongues, there was an interpretation, and someone actually understood the message in tongues as a, as a language. I was in a service one time, and a message came in tongues. Someone interpreted that, that, uh, that, uh, that tongue, and then there was a person in that meeting says, does that person know this African dialect? And I said, I don't think so. And they said, they were speaking in a language I've heard before. And there was no way they could know that language. Now, go, go to chapter 13. Just hold your place. Just flip back. Paul said this, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels. See that? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. So some tongues could be the tongues of men some tongues could be the tongues of what? Angels. Can I ask you a question? What language do angels speak? I don't know. I don't think they probably speak English. I don't think they probably speak Spanish. I think they probably already, they have their own language. I think they were speaking before God created the heavens and the earth, as far as we know it, because the Bible says they rejoiced at creation. So they were communicating and so Paul says the tongues of men and angels. So is there languages that we may speak in the spirit, yet it's not languages of the earth? And I believe that's true. I believe we may speak languages that are not even earthly. 
Not just languages that we don't know that, that we're able to speak through the Spirit, but even languages that are not even earthly. No one on the earth speaks these languages. That's what Paul, I think, is indicating, though I speak the tongues of men and angels, something that's heavenly, something not of this earth. So it's not a learned language. Tongues edify us personally. Tongues edify us personally. We can pray in the Spirit. What are we doing? We're, we're, we're edifying, we're building up our uh, inner man. We're building up our spirit man. Uh, we're praying in the most holy faith. So tongues and our prayer language does edify us personally. But the gift of tongues edifies the church corporately. You see the difference? So you can get in your prayer closet, you can pray, you're edifying yourself. You may be at this altar praying, you're edifying yourself. But once you get up and you give a message out in tongues, you're to do what? Edify the corporate body. And so that's why he gives us these parameters in chapter 14. Tongues plus interpretation of tongues equals prophecy. Tongues plus interpretation of tongues equals prophecy. Now the question is begged to be asked here, why does God sometimes just says, thus saith the Lord, and we have a prophetic message? And then sometimes it's a message in tongues, and then it's interpreted from that language to a language we can understand. This is what Paul says. He says there are believers and unbelievers in the congregation. And he says both of them are impacted by each of them. The tongues and the interpretation or just the prophecy. And we'll read that here in just a minute. So God has his reason. And so tongues plus interpretation of tongues equals prophecy. Tongues to the church corporately without interpretation is really forbidden. Now I'm not saying nobody in here can speak in tongues, but I'm saying tongues to the church corporately without interpretation is really forbidden here in chapter 14. If it comes forth and it's not interpreted, he says that the one giving the message should keep silent. Now this is what I've seen, and you've seen probably some things that I haven't seen. Sometimes I've been in a service, someone gave a message out in tongues, we waited, there was no interpretation. And then sometimes people say, well, that must not have been of the Lord because there was no interpretation. Okay, now hold on. Some people have the gift of tongues. Some people have the gift of what? Interpretation of tongues. So could it be, and I'm going to just pose this hypothetical question to you, could it be somebody over here used their gift and they gave the message out God wanted them to give, and someone over here heard that message, and they knew that message, but they didn't exercise their gift. Everybody okay? So we say, well, that must not have been of the Lord because that message wasn't interpreted. No, it could have been. They did exactly what God wanted them to do, but somebody over here failed to do what they should have done. So notice they're two separate gifts. And some people can have both of the gifts. You do realize you can have more than one spiritual gift. You don't have them all, but you can have more than one. So can you give a message out in tongues and then interpret that message? The answer is yes. Or can you give the message out in tongues and someone else interpret that message? And the answer is yes. 
So tongues plus interpretation of tongues equals prophecy. Now why would you say that? Because now we're hearing a message that the corporate body can hear and understand and it's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. So that's what he's saying here in these passages. Now, let's look at the gift of interpretation of tongues. And I'm not going to hold you long. I know it's been a kind of a crazy day and a long day and time change and people are getting ready to travel because it is a spring break. But the gift of interpretation of tongues is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to interpret and convey a message of God from tongues to an understood language. From tongues to an understood language. Go with me to verse 23. Paul says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or those who are unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? If you have a King James translation, it says, will they not say that you're mad? Or what would we say? They would say, you're crazy. Now, why would they say that? Because they don't know what's going on. They can't understand it. They can't grasp any of it. It makes no sense to them. They're not gleaning anything from that. And he's not forbidding us because we're going to read here in a minute about that. But he says, when the whole church comes, what? Together. When the church comes together. And he says, will they not say you're out of your mind? Verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. Now, why is that different? Because now he understands what's being said. He can understand what's coming forth. He understands what is being said. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now go to verse 18. So go back to verse 18. Paul says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Let me give you, uh, and I have to be careful how I say this. I'm not trying to give you ammunition, but I'm trying to give you insight. That sounds better, doesn't it, Billy? When someone says, well, I just don't believe that the Bible teaches that. And this is what I usually respond to if it's appropriate. Well, that's interesting because everybody who wrote your Bible... New Testament, spoke in tongues. Is that true? There were 120 believers in that upper room. And it wasn't just the 12. It was 120. It wasn't just men, but it was men and women. Do you know Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in the upper room? And... On the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, it says, While they were in one mind and one accord, waiting for the promise of the Father, that's in chapter 1, it says, A rushing mighty wind, matter of fact, Wendy sang about it tonight, didn't she? A rushing mighty wind came to the house, the place where they were sitting, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and cloven tongues like as a fire set upon them, and they began to speak in languages as Galileans they did not know. Now, how do we know that? Because when you look at the list of the countries listed there in Acts chapter 1, right? I mean, Acts chapter 2, right after you get uh, chapter 1 and we have that evidence of uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, then it begins the list 
all those nations and those pilgrims that had come from the nations surrounding uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Israel, and we're talking about we're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. The Bible tells about all these pilgrims that had come in for the Feast of Pentecost, but they had heard that 120 speaking in languages of their own dialect and their own nations. And they said, how is it that these being Galileans can speak all of the languages of all of these nations? And we know it was supernatural, don't we? They, they had not learned all those languages. That was, that was the moving of the Holy Spirit. Now, here he says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. So was Paul one that spoke in tongues? Well, according to his words, absolutely. Do you realize Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? And he was filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, he doesn't say about all of the spiritual gifts he has, but we do know from his uh, travels and his ministry that there were several gifts that, that he exercised. We talked about some of those last time that I taught. Uh, you do know he was raising people from the dead, right? And he was laying hands on people and, and they were miraculously healed. He was shaking snakes off in the fire. He was looking at someone and saying, you're going to be blind. That's a miracle. And we said last time it's a reverse healing, wasn't it? So... Uh, he caused blindness to come on someone for a season. So we know he had spiritual power, spiritual giftedness in his ministry. And we also know here that he spoke with tongues. He said more than you all. Now, in, in this chapter, he says, I will, you know, speak with understanding. He said, I will speak in the spirit. I'll sing in the spirit. So he was saying there are times that I, I'm, I'm going to pray with understanding. I'm going to speak with understanding. There are times I'm going to pray in the Spirit. I, I'm going to sing in the Spirit. And probably almost everybody here, you've experienced that yourself. You've come to a place where you got into the Spirit and you begin to uh, pray. Why would God allow us to do those things? Now, not just the gift of tongues, but just to have that spiritual dialect and dialogue with God. I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it passes by our carnal and human understanding. Have you ever laid down on your bed at night and you had so many things going through your mind you couldn't hardly go to sleep? I mean, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about that, you're troubled about this, you're troubled about that. But you know what God allowed us to do? He allowed us to begin to pray in the Spirit where my spirit began to intercede with his spirit, commune with his spirit, and it was a one-on-one -on -one spirit communication, and it, it almost bypassed my flesh. So, so we're having a dialogue, and it's just spirit to spirit. Because this is what I know about you, and this is what I know about me. Sometimes my flesh gets in the way. And here's another thing, too. Do you realize when you pray that way, the enemy doesn't have a clue what you're saying. You, you say, well, why would God do that? Let me tell you why. Because we are snared by the words of our mouth. And here's another one. By the looks of our countenance. You remember? About 87% of all communication is body language. The devil really doesn't have to hear you 
Sometimes all he has to do is look at you. Because you're just letting him know how frustrated you are or how bad of a day you're having or how mad you are or how upset you are. And you'll read in the Bible, why is your countenance fallen? He, he, can, he can read. He can't read your mind. He, he doesn't know what you're saying in the spirit. But he can understand the words that you speak. And he understands the body language that you're giving off. So we can go into our prayer closet. Why do we call it a prayer closet? Because it's private. Isn't it? Why do we call it a prayer language? Because it's private. So we're getting in there. We're communing with God. We're having this conversation with God. And, and it's just kind of bypassing my, my carnality, my natural man. And I'm having this interchange. I'm having this dialogue with God. And also it's allowing me to uh, share things that sometimes I don't even know how to share. You know what the Bible says in John chapter 11? That Jesus groaned in the Spirit. You say, well, we can pray in the Spirit. Jesus said you could groan in the Spirit. What does that mean, groan in the Spirit? Sometimes words don't even do it justice. Sometimes a sigh, a groan. And Jesus groaned in the Spirit. Not just a groan, but groaned in the Spirit. Do you know I think God can hear every sigh and every groan that you have and it, it, it's a message. So it's not just tongues, it's just not prophecy. He said, I think my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Verse 19, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now here again he's emphasizing something. He says, if I speak five words with understanding, then they get it. If I speak 10,000 words in an unknown tongue, making a difference how long I talk to them, they're just batting their eyes at me. They don't have a clue what I'm saying. So when we gather here, and, and every once in a while I get this question asked of me because someone new will come to the church and maybe you have the question tonight. And you will uh, possibly hear someone praying next to you or you'll be standing at this altar and, and it could even be me. And you'll hear somebody praying. Maybe they're praying in the Spirit. And someone will say, well, they shouldn't do that in the church. Well, it depends. Are they speaking to the corporate body of Christ? Or are, they, are they talking to God? Right? And Paul clearly lays that out. And when someone says, well, you know, they shouldn't be speaking in tongues because I couldn't understand what they're saying. And I say, they weren't talking to you. Isn't that true? They're not talking to you. They're talking to God. But if they're talking to you, you're absolutely correct. They shouldn't be doing that. Unless someone interprets it. But if I'm dialoguing with God, and, and certainly we, we should be doing that in the corporate setting when it's the appropriate time. But, you know, Paul said, let everything be done decently and in order. And he says here, if we're, if we're dialoguing to others, if we're preaching to the corporate body, if we're delivering this, he said, we need to speak words that people could understand. Let me go a step further, and, and I'll end with this. I believe that even music and singing and preaching can be prophetic. 
because I want you to look at this, the, the definition of prophecy here. It's divine utterance. It's spiritual utterance where God is giving forth a message. I pray for that. I, I, I believe our worship team prays for that. Because we, we don't want to just sing another song. And we don't want to just preach another message. I've had people come up to me and said, you, you're not going to believe this, but that was exactly what I needed. You know what? I'm encouraged by that. Because I don't know what everybody needs. So I'm on my face saying, God, what do we say today? What, what are we going to share? Folks, I'm not looking for another place to preach. I, I'm not looking to say, you know, uh, I need to preach another message. You've heard me say, if I had any pet sermons, I guess I got those out of the way 30 years ago. I'm at the point now, I'm saying, Lord, what's your will today? What, what would you have me say today? Lead me to say the right thing. Lead, lead me to preach the right thing. I've had people come up to me after the service being mad and said, how dare you talk about me this morning? No, it's happened more than once. How dare you talk about me this morning? And we always jokingly say the, the dog that yelps in the pack is the one who got hit, right? So why would they say that? Because the Lord knew. I mean, he, he reads the heart. And, and not that, uh, you know, we're trying to embarrass anybody. But God's got your number. And he's got my number. And so we, we want to preach. We, we want to we deliver here what the Lord wants us to deliver. And it's not to tear you down. What's it for? It's to edify you, exhort you, and to comfort you. So whether it's the singing, the music, the preaching, the prophecy, the, the tongues, the interpretation of tongues, everything he gave us as giftedness is to build us up. It's to lift us up. It's to encourage us. It's to strengthen us. And next time I teach on this, we'll, we'll go to Romans 12 because he gives us some of the same gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And then he adds to that list in Romans 12. And then we have another grouping there. So if you're, you're here tonight and say, oh, I don't know about the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, about faith and miracles and, and healings and prophecy and tongues and discernment, interpretation of tongues. Well, hold on. We got a whole nother list. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a whole nother grouping here. But here's the key. The Bible says the Holy Spirit has gifted every believer. I believe that. The Holy Spirit has gifted every believer. Do you think some people have the gift of hospitality? I think so. I thought about that this, this afternoon. Um, I, I thought about the gift of uh, hospitality, and th there's two names immediately came to my mind. Christina Moore and Brian Fisher. Isn't it funny? You, you start thinking about a gift, and names just start popping up. And so you can think about some of these spiritual gifts and all of a sudden names start kind of coming to your mind. You think, Be, golly, I think, I think that person may have that gift. Or uh, you might read the gift and say, you know, that, that's where I'm really strong in. 
I'm really strong in mercy. I'm really strong in teaching. I'm really strong in giving. If you think it's got to be an amount, oh no, you're wrong. You, you can be strong in, in any of these gifts. Now, let me just say it again. You don't have all the gifts. I don't have all the gifts. Why didn't God just give us all the gifts? Because no one member of the body can say to the other members, I have no need of you. Amen. So, Paul said we prophesy in part. We know in part. Why did he say part? Because you're just a part. You're just a member. You don't make up the whole body. But when all the parts get together, that's a good thing. When all the members get together, that's a good thing. We need each other. We desperately need each other. We got to have each other. We don't want a bunch of toes just running around by themselves. We, we got to have the foot and the ankle and the knees and the rest of the body. So tonight, I, I just want you to think about that because we don't ever want to get to the place here that uh, we just say, well, we don't believe that stuff anymore. That, that was for them back then, but that's not for us today. Oh, listen, friends, the Word of God's always for us, right? So we don't ever want to get to that place where we throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want to guarantee you, most people have already done that. It's amazing to me that we believe in so many supernatural things. Have you ever just watched television? When, when people say, well, I don't believe in the supernatural. Goodness gracious, turn your television on. There's people walking around dead and zombies and vampires and witches and warlocks and Harry Potter and, and everybody else. And, and, and then they're criticizing the church for being supernatural. Get out of here. Y'all are more supernatural in the wrong way than we are in the right way. So we serve a supernatural God who's given us supernatural gifts. And we just embrace them. Amen? Stand with me. Let, let, let's gather up here. Let's pray. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.